0: I'm about to get attacked by a cat, so I'm not sure whether I should read this or wait. I'm gonna read it. Showing your support to us is as easy as making coffee. Showing your support you done? Showing your support to us is as easy <laughs> cat flat <flattens laughs> a are bad idea. <aren't> <laughs>
1: hello and welcome or welcome
0: back thanks for joining us for another episode <laughs>
1: i'm james Giffins.
0: and i am malcolm childs and we are just making conversation
1: with more special guests this time the awe-inspiring john hayward or better known as the Scalm model medic <gasps> malcolm's yes. gushing
0: yes yes big fan of his from musty boxes to the new releases and everything in between we are going to just make conversation
1: remember there are other podcasts you can listen to if you think this one's shit head to
0: modelpodcasts.com for all the links or join a subreddit called model podcasts that's r slash on reddit
1: If you've enjoyed our podcast, even a tiny bit, consider leaving a five-star review as it promotes the podcast to more people to enjoy.
0: Showing your support to us is as easy as making a coffee. In fact, why not go over to buymeacoffee.com Ninja Slash! JMC Podcasts and do just that. Your support will help go towards making the podcast and its content just that little bit better. So silly. (laughs) In this episode, we will be just making conversation with John Hayward, the amazing scale model medic, as he is known on YouTube, a true inspiration for many new aspiring model makers.
1: What makes someone want to use the wonders of the media to inspire and teach those that want to watch model making? Teaching those techniques and skills we all crave to have in a simple, non-fussy way.
0: Mm. What is the inspiration behind those instructional videos? And will he be making any more? With different genres of the hobby, from locomotive weathering to
1: Warhammer chipping, just where does his true focus lay? Finding time to deliver a YouTuber's experience of the scale model world is a task not to be underestimated. Balancing between work, life, and loved ones is a full-time job in itself. The influencers, the people behind the curtain, our favorite
0: YouTube channels, do they know just how much of an impact they have on us, the viewer, and our hobby? You're the, you're the reason that I got back into model making, so I just wanted to make sure you were completely aware of that, and everybody uh, was aware of that who was listening today. So I'm really, really excited that you are on and are daft enough to join us on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much for doing those videos because it had inspired me completely. Uh, was that your intention?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, way back when, I just had this desire to make these videos to share knowledge that I found difficult to to pick up myself when I started. And I, I carried it on from there. I just expanded really from simple videos, technique by technique, to, to just making a couple of series of whole models, hmm. and yeah, just trying to to help people really get started and, and get going in the hobby.
0: Yeah, because they are instructional videos, aren't they? On on and quite clipped on different things. They're not long, long, long videos, and you're quite focused on the things that you're doing.
2: It's almost like a bit of a sort of a personal mantra to to have just all all content not do the filler stuff, not try and jump in front of the camera and, and bombard with opinions or, or any of the other filler, just to do solid modeling content, just 100%.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. No, I, uh, that comes across, and it's very useful for the people who are watching it and looking up for inspiration. And, and I think what, what brought it home for me was how simple it was to do. You know, these kind of very high-level, what I thought at the time, very high-level skill-requiring techniques were actually quite simple if you follow your little step-by-steps.
2: Well, yeah, I'm glad that uh, at least one person's managed to find some use for them. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a start, I
0: suppose. Everyone but, else hates them. But...
2: Yeah, that's what I was that, <laughs> I'm still I'm getting, still getting a hate mail about that Millennium Falcon to this day. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the Falcon went down pretty well, actually. Um, but it was about a year before... They re-released, you know, the really good high detail Falcon. I started getting comments saying, why don't you just build the Bandai one, which wasn't out at the time, but people don't look at the date under the video. The Falcons at the time, it was like 500 quid for a a fine molds one off eBay.
3: Mm. And
2: then they've got this big toy one that you could use as a a starting point. So I just did it. And uh, it was never meant to be really that involved, but I just got carried away with it star wars stuff is like that it's great for weathering on because you you can't really do it wrong because it's not real so who's to say that that bit wouldn't rust or that bit wouldn't you know end up badly damaged and it's a good place to mess around with different techniques if you want to get into weathering going back to what you said about you know how simple the techniques are there's a lot of stuff in there from you know a long time ago that is still doing the rounds now such as the raw oil paints grinding in you know, that's got itself a fancy modeling name now, and, and call it oil paint rendering. OPR, because modelers love a, a a cool name and a, a bit of an acronym. Yeah. But you can go back there. I mean, it's a really old video now, but there I am just grinding oils onto the model. And yeah. it's not difficult at all to do. It's just once you get the hang of it, it's fine.
1: Mm. I mm. think that's the problem, isn't it, with a lot of techniques is that for, for uh, a new uh, person coming to the hobby they look at a, a finished model and go, oh, I just don't know how they did that. They haven't got a clue. And then like you say, they start using uh, terminology like OPR and filters and yeah. it just completely confuses people. I think that's one of the best things from, from your videos is, is you keep the terminology really simple, really basic.
2: Back when I started, it was exactly the same. The, the only difference was there wasn't YouTube around to mm. actually tell you this stuff. You know, I, I sort of cut my teeth with books and, and DVDs, which was what you had back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, colour modulation was a big thing that came out with this fancy name. And then when you actually watched the the DVD that Mick put out, you, you realise it was just shading with the airbrush, just not not painting all of the dark colour underneath. And I think it's a relatively simple you know, principle to grasp. But if you just mm. read the word color modulation, you're going to be off to a loser from the start. So yeah, that was the sort of thing that got me going really was
0: let's do this uh, simply easily just with the model in front of me. Also, you're using uh, very basic products as well, you know, off the shelf stuff, the starter kit one you did with the, uh, the Jaguar recently. Yeah. Uh, you're using the, the paint out of the box. That new paint that's in the starter sets—that's
2: absolutely perfectly fine to use. It's good paint.
3: Oh.
2: It, it used to be a while back awful paint that you got with mm-hmm. the starter kits, but they've done something to it now, and it's absolutely bang on. It works perfectly.
1: The second generation that they're doing now for the the uh, acrylic paints—I've
2: not—I've um, not used the new Humbrol acrylics yet, so it could be. It, it seems like it's almost um, like a concentrated paste that's in the pot. Oh. There's something there's something very different about it. Uh, it. used to be a concentrated paste in the old starter kits because it had all dried up. But <laughs> no, it, it, it seems a bit more intentional. Everything you see on those Airfix videos is 100% done with the starter set.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, hey. the, that green is amazing.
2: Okay, mate, nice. uh, would it would have be been nice to try and airbrush it. At the same time, with a a model that small, masking and everything else, I'm no car modeler, so Mm. I was happy with it. Happy with it, and so was uh, Dale at Airfix.
1: Obviously, the the new series you've been doing just recently about the starter kits, was that something in which Airfix approached you, or was it something in which you you wanted to do?
2: Airfix got back in touch with me, which Mm -hmm. was nice. Uh, I'd not had any dealings with with for for sort of 10 years, really. When Dale left the business, uh, we carried on for a little bit. It all just sort of stopped because Hornby made massive changes to the marketing team. Uh And then I just kind of uh, disappeared. Do you know that Homer Simpson gif where he disappears into the hedgerow? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, That was me (laughs) backing away from all the comments. That's where it all... uh, it stopped and then out of the blue, in really sad circumstances, I might add, Dale came back to the business and that meant if he asked me, I would have gone back to the business straight away because Dale's a great guy and, and that's what mm. happened. You've got obviously got more to come in that series? Yeah, I've got two more to do, tucked away behind me.
1: How's that gone down? Because obviously you've gone away from that for a, a little period. Have you, have you picked up much feedback?
2: I always look at the comments because uh, it's not my channel, so I can't delete the bad ones. I have to keep keep an eye on them but so far the comments have been really positive, they've been taken in the spirit that they're intended I can't say the same about the old Airfix starter set video I did the one where I couldn't use any tools at all and had to twist the parts off the sprue and I had to sit by and watch myself be torn to pieces by the baying mob on YouTube yeah that was the brief that I had to make the video and, and I made the video
1: I'm aware of some comments. Magma was talking about this before he joined us. But the one thing that impressed me by doing that and, and not using tools and all that sort of stuff I'm just taking it off the spray, isn't that the sort of thing that a youngster would do once they've opened their gift at Christmas to just start pulling it apart and sticking it together? Why can't you have an adult do that in a video and say, well, this is one way you can do it? I don't see anything wrong with that.
2: Not everybody's got the sort of toolkits that we have flying around. And Airfix know their audience, And when you've got people buying starter sets from the likes of museums and and visitor attractions, which you always see the red boxes when you go through to the gift shop, Uh if someone's picked up an epic starter kit, the chances are when they get home, they won't have a set of cutters on the the worktop at home and a a nice set of uh, ultimate sanders and all the other filler, everything that you can throw at a kit these days. They're going to just tear it apart like a caveman. And then mm. stick it, stick it together. Probably trying to use the Humbrol poly cement straight from the tube, and they're going to get it everywhere. And then that's yeah. the end of their modeling career when they look at that when it's finished. They won't do it mm.
0: again. Mm. Yeah, we may have had a bad experience doing it. And your video would certainly help them if they happen to type it in. I hope so. I hope so. And and that's what Airfix in,
2: intend with it. it. It's it's a form of marketing by education by trying mm-hmm. to get people to stay in the hobby rather than just buy one kit, mess it up and move on.
1: Mm. We, we talked about modeling tools and all that sort of stuff in one of our <laughs> episodes way way back when, and we were talking about tools that we started with in the hobby, and my file was, was my mum's nail file. She didn't know I had it, but that I, that's what I used. And I, I used a letter opener to open my pots of paint.
2: The nail files, um, they were revolutionary at the time. To see these sponges that conform to the surface, like they were made for modelling. But the truth of the matter is, they're made to curve around nails. Mm-hmm. And companies have took the the principle and applied it to different shapes and things. The ultimate modelling sanders being a prime example. They've got these shapes which are helpful for modelers. But that product, in in general, started life as a thing for nails. It's the same with so much so much else. You know, the the cutters from the Humbrol tool set, for example. Will look familiar to any electrician. A beginner's not going to have those kind of cutters, so I Mm. use the basic ones. If it's a kid who's starting out modelling, he's probably, his old man's probably got some wire cutters like that in the shed, so we can go and grab them and use them. I'm, I'm doing the next video with an angle grinder
0: and a (laughs) nail (laughs) gun. It'll look like I built it then.
1: A very bizarre question. Malcolm would like to know, what is the name of your carpet monster? The, what, sorry? <laughs> That's what I thought when I just read it. Uh, Malcolm would like to know the name of your carpet monster.
2: That could be misconstrued in many, many ways. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know have, what, what you mean. I purposely fitted hard flooring in this room uh, with a view to avoiding such a thing, but it didn't work. And things tend to hit a hard floor and then bounce further. And you you need a sense of hearing like Daredevil to figure out where they went. (laughs) I've not really got a name for it. Well, not one that I would be happy to uh to say to in share. the middle of a podcast but it's it's uttered with many expletives and uh, <laughs> you can say it and i will bleep
0: it out if it's bad <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I, I just i tend to just end up my, my eyesight's not the best either to be totally honest with you short short range i'm okay but i have to wear glasses to to drive or watch tv as soon as a part hits the deck it's like i've been pepper sprayed i'll I, <laughs> they're fumbling around on the floor. Uh, I'm kind of trying to find it out with Braille. And eventually I usually do find it, but there are one or two bits that are gone forever. Usually photo etch. Lino monster
0: or a hardwood flooring monster. The cheapest flooring they did in Ikea monster. Gotcha. Well, it's interesting actually because I have a shagpile rug. Yeah, I can see where this could go. <laughs> I have <a> shag pile. <laughs> uh, is it heart-shaped by any chance? No, it's a strip. <laughs> <laughs> so you've basically got a, a Brazilian for your modelling <laughs> No, no, you've got the Brazilian because you've got nothing there at all. I'm not going into this. I'm the oh. Airfix boat, for God's sake. You've got to use the tools that are available to you. And if you have a, a carpet down there, then it will catch your bits. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely
2: something I would not recommend to somebody setting up a modeling room is to have hard flooring. It's It knife. seems like such a great idea. One sweep of the brush and there you know,
0: is three quarters of a dragon kit just returning back to (laughs) the proper home. But the truth is, you you never find anything. Because I have that shag pile right underneath me, anything I drop drops right on there and doesn't go any further because it gets encapsulated in the the fibres. Do you not find yourself then pouring through the shag pile like a
2: a, a mother chimp grooming the the young? (laughs) (laughs) looking for that little grab handle that you dropped 10 minutes Uh, ago.
0: Yes, I do, actually. Um, But I find if I lift it up and just shake it, you know, half a dragon kit will fall out. (laughs) (laughs) But it stops it glissading across the floor, you know, like a curling (laughs) champion. I
2: don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you you drop something and then you push the chair back and then you hear the, the dreaded groin sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's hard
0: flooring for you. Not going to happen Indeed. again. So you drop something, you just don't move.
2: Yeah, it's, it's literally like freeze on the spot. And then you have to check the insides of your trainers. The, you check your lap. You check your sleeves. And then uh, it doesn't matter. It's still gone. Get the forensic it, suit on.
1: It is quite funny because I generally start with the first roll of fat and then go to the second roll of fat, by which I then got to my lap. And then I start going through my my tracksuit (laughs) bottoms, then maybe my socks. And then at that point, I might think about moving, although I'm on a swivel chair, and I hope to be able to move the swivel chair sufficiently enough for me to step away from where I am. But I never ever do that because I'm too far underneath the desk, so I get caught halfway. So it's a little bit like someone's escaping out of a car window that's half shut. (laughs) <laughs> trying to get out of my seat to find that one bit that I just stand on straight away. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It seems to attract people
2: to your modelling room as well. As soon as something hits the floor,
1: oh, don't they, do that.
2: they always while you're doing that. Not while you were putting something together really well. They mm-hmm. come in when you're. They come in when you're on the floor, like you've suffered a fall and you can't get up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, That's falling again. Yeah, just rescued an elderly <laughs> relative. <laughs> he's jabbering about um grab handles or something I think he's <laughs> he's, uh, he, euthanasia
2: seems like a good option at that point, but I've not got a name for it unfortunately I hate to
0: I hate okay. to break your heart with that one. I notice in your your videos you've got. Armor, you've got aircraft, you've got cars. That we just talked about got some Warhammer in there weathering up the Warhammer um, guys. You've also got some railway stuff as well that you've done. Whereabouts do you think yourself in the hobby? Basically, to me, pretty much 135th armor. Mm, I don't know, okay. I don't know why
2: that is, uh, but that seems to just be the thing for me. It's big enough that you can, you know, really do some detail on it. But it's not so big that you can't have quite big subjects as well. That was what I got back into modeling with. So I've stayed with it. Where I started, one of my very early memories from when I was about four or five was helping in the loosest sense of the word. My dad sticks some parts together on this model boat that he had. He wasn't a modeler. He was just trying his hand at it in the depths of the 80s. I remembered that forever. I ended up doing Warhammer when I was in my awkward teens. Mm-hmm. Before it was as widely accepted as it is now. Mm-hmm. That was the gateway drug. I did that for a few years and then when I reached sort of my twenties, I stopped altogether. Purely out of curiosity one day I just started Googling World War Two dioramas and I discovered Armorama.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And yeah.
2: I viewed the entire gallery on that website. Absolutely not while I was at work, of course, and, of course, and that triggered an interest. And I, for some random reason, I ordered a Dragon SDK of Z2517, you know, the Pioneer version.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I ordered that. I tried to start modeling with a Dragon kit, wow. which was a, a very, very poor choice.
3: Mm.
2: <laughs> uh, I tried going in at the deep end. Uh, now, I didn't do my apprenticeship, if you like.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, yeah, that didn't get finished. Have you still got it, John? No, that went in the bin. Not straight away. I kind of pretended like I could salvage it for 10 years or so, and then it went in. Mm. But then I actually took a step back, and uh, I met some guys on Armour Armour who were a big help to me and were part of the reason why I started trying to to help other people. They, They got me started with proper techniques and tools and whatnot and i ended up building the italeri sherman m4a176w it was a 10 pound kit at the time it's an awful kit it's it's really bad and i finished it it was the first kit i ever finished oh. and that was it i was hooked
3: yeah.
2: it's not i'll say it's an awful kit it's it's an awful kit by sort of modern kit standards but for mm. a tenor at the time you know you couldn't really go wrong details completely wrong on it but it builds all right and it built okay for me and it,
0: it got me into the hobby. Did it? Do you enjoy getting the finished thing in your hands? Right? Does that give you the excitement and the enjoyment or is it the building process leading up to that point? Where is the where is the fun bit for you?
2: If it was the finished thing, we wouldn't be sat here having this conversation because you would have never heard of me. I never finish nine out uh, of 10 kits. That I start, I don't finish. Hmm. I will typically get the video out of it and then park it and move on to the next one for a video. But before I got back into making for Airfix, I meant a little bit of push for my channel, and I finished the King Tiger, and I finished Itachi Excavator from Hasegoa. And I made a push to actually finish some models, and that was because I have still got in various boxes around me now half-built models that, I did a video on and then just put them away to the point where I can even, the Panzer 4 from the old colour modulation video on my channel and it's exactly mm-hmm. as it, it was in that last shot of the video, <laughs> just, just straight back in straight back in a box, never touched it again. So for me, it's 100% the actual process. Mm-hmm. The, the end result is typically never realised for me, but it's the irrelevant part really. It's nice to look at, but for me, it's definitely about the journey and what video I can make it of that journey as well, to be fair, to try and mm. feed the channel. Yeah.
0: we all talked about the journey before, we James, quite a bit.
1: Mm. We all prefer certain parts of the journey. Certainly people out there, they just like putting the models together and that's it. They don't even paint it. A little bit like me, use quite nice now, because I've got several parked as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
2: I've got dozens. I'm literally sat within a metre of at least 20 unfinished kits, Mm. and i'm not you i'm not even ashamed of that bit that i'm yeah. so brazen not, not even bothered they're just everywhere
0: this is part of the but, hobby isn't it
2: that yeah it's that's the bit that i enjoy i actually enjoy building a lot more than i ever thought i would mm-hmm. um weathering was always number one you know I, I tend to rush the painting stage a little bit because of it and i might you know start the weathering before i have finished even
0: the painting properly And
2: yeah, yeah, it's it's an awful habit. Have
0: you ever put the uh, weathering on before you've put the decals on before?
2: Uh, That's one of the best things about armor is usually there's about four (laughs) decals. So I can get away with that one. I have had to buy dry transfers in the past to actually, you know, put them on. Because of the weathering, you can't really put water-based ones on over the top of how much oil I was using at the time. Right. So i dry-transferred over them, um, and I've got stencils and things to, to do that. They've just got me out of trouble in the past through being impetuous. My biggest crime in that area is one side of the model. I will
0: paint better than the other. Oh, and then- God. I love you, John. <laughs> how long have i been saying that for
1: about <laughs> <laughs> two years
2: yeah <laughs> that good side is the one where you um, you paint the other one and you're not as impressed with it and then while that's drying oh, just quickly bang a quick panel and wash on there i bet it looked really good next thing you know you're sort of four oil layers deep on one side of the model and you can't remember what colors you used so but if you okay. come to the other side you you've got a bit of an imbalance there i've done that many times.
0: And that's the side that you point towards the audience when you go to a model show, right?
2: That's the. It's there's only one side of the model visible on camera at any one point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, talking about sides and and painting that, just out of curiosity, are you a um, a paint underneath the armor sort of guy, or you just leave it bare?
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, paint the underneath always.
1: <sighs> See, Malcolm, what have I been telling you?
2: This is something that I try and, and tell people. If you don't paint the underside and follow every other step, you've got nowhere to experiment with the stuff that's on the actual kit. So if you want to try something new and you don't know how it will react to the paint, you've got something which is in exactly the same state as the rest of the model. If, if I look underneath my kits, every single one of my kit has got all sorts of failed
0: experiments on it. It's like a paint mule, then, almost. It's like a pallet.
2: Yeah, a, little, a little, little paint mule. But the key thing is you've done it in exactly the same sequence as the rest of the kit. So if there's something underneath that top layer which will react, you paint a, a mule separately. Yeah. There, there are different layers in, in operation on that particular kit. This is the same as your model. It's free space to practice. It's free space to experiment. That's
0: a good point. Yes. So you don't actually make the bottom of, of your tank look like the bottom of the tank. So you don't no, really no. paint it. No, it,
2: it, <laughs> <laughs> I feel, Hello, I feel like... I,
1: he paints it. He paints it, I, Malcolm.
2: Yeah, you paint
1: on
0: like,
2: it. I it can be manipulated here for political <laughs> reasons.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> I've never, I've never done that other than under wheel arches or similar. I don't display models in such a way as somebody's going to stick a dental mirror under there, i.e. a judge. So I've got no need to, to do that. I use it purely for experimenting.
0: Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's a good, good type, tip. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I really like that. Heard it here first. <laughs> 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 no, I really like that. too. I've never heard that before. So um, actually I might start priming and painting them because then like a little palette paint your plastic kind of thing
1: plastic really cool. yeah
0: so you talked about um having the good side of the the model going towards the camera and i, I was saying uh, that i would do it so that i would face the audience at a model show do you uh, go to any model shows or belong to any model clubs
2: uh, i'll go to telford every year i used to go to some of the other local ones but they uh they actually died off there was a great one really close and I can't remember what it was called, but it, it was like a 20-minute drive away at a school. And I loved that one because it was so close to home. And uh, that, that one got stopped. And uh, I've been known to go as far afield as Hinkley, which is not that far afield at all. But Telford, I, I live you know, close to Telford, so I'm lucky enough to have the best show once a year within easy reach.
0: Cool. So do you have a spare room?
2: <laughs> uh... <laughs> Oh, you know what? No, sad. Oh. You know, it's got these two kids living with me that
0: use up all the rooms. Ah. Do you go down to the MCC, I Hinkley, the Backman shop down there? It's called MCC. I've never stepped foot in a
2: dedicated model train shop. To be honest, it's not uh, part of the hobby that I. I've done it professionally, if you like, for for video work. But I've never uh, pursued model trains. I have actually got a train set. It was my dad's. Um, he wanted to build a layout, but he. He passed away before he had the chance, but I'd occasionally put it together and run it for the kids. It's a really fascinating hobby, and the, the possibilities in trains are huge for weathering and, and doing lots of different ground effects, etc. But there's such an investment of time and effort and space as well. Mm. Uh, I, I couldn't see myself ever getting into it. And then when you finished it all, you just turn it on and the trains go around. And, and to be honest, I don't really derive any pleasure from, from that particular aspect. So like, uh, scale extra, I've never been into that either. Right.
1: Mm. right. It's strange, isn't it? Because I mean, we've, we've, we've touched upon it a couple of times, um, sorting out the layout and the, the groundwork and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Lots of skills involved, but the finished piece, Hmm. Yeah, not for me either.
2: Uh, I've been to, been to a show. I needed Evergreen specifically. Uh-huh. And um, I, I clocked that there was this little train show coming up the weekend at this uh-huh. local school. Uh-huh. And I went to that. And some of the things you see are labor of love, you know, uh-huh. but truly magnificent. People building whole working locomotives out of like, photo etched brass. Mm-hmm. You, you see some magnificent things there. I've never been into trains. I don't find them a particularly fascinating mode of transport. Not when you can have something that's got, you know, armour on it and a massive gun. And Why would you have that when you could have, like, a fighter jet?
0: Well, that's another question I have. Were you a vehicle enthusiast or a modeler first?
2: Yeah, I, I love the Sherman. I, not until I actually got into modelling. Mm. Uh, before that, the only real vehicle that I was interested in was the Vulcan. And anybody who's ever heard that noise is interested in the Vulcan. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, never built a Vulcan, interestingly enough. I've considered it. I've toyed with the idea, but I tend to be quite crap at building planes, if I'm honest. Not a good aircraft modeler, in my opinion, at all. I've, right. But I've managed to do one decent one, which was the Tamiya Spitfire. You know, the new, the new one, the Malt 1.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good kit.
2: Managed to do that without there being a seam up the middle. But that seam is the the one thing that just, I hate that bit. because it's right at and the then, front as well than the top? If, if you're going to find a seam anyway, it's that one right under the canopy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to aircraft modelling. I think when you see a really well-done aircraft, you can appreciate it when you know what's what's gone into that and how well it's it's been done. I've set myself some little, like, bucket list things, mm. sort of going back to what you said about, was there a vehicle that you've always wanted to... You know to build i wanted to build a mid-production sherman the sort of sherman that was in operation cobra i got that out of the way there wasn't a good kit of, of that model at the time and tasca released a new sherman they're now asuka and they released this new um, early production sherman and i converted it they now do the mid-production as a kit. i've got one on the shelf uh, I've done I've done a Panther and a Tiger, which I think everybody should do at some point, uh, not to fanboy it, but because they are really good to work on, mm-hmm. and they're they're big, they've got slab sides, they've got interesting things to to weather. But I always wanted to do a decent Spitfire. I wanted to do a Lancaster and an F fourteen.
0: Okay, yeah, nice nice choices.
2: I bought the Edward Danger Zone,
0: mm-hmm. which. Yeah, the kit.
2: It's about 12 inches away from me, and it's never been touched. I am a vehicle enthusiast when it comes to tanks. I'm absolutely tank mad. I've done all sorts relating to tanks. Mm. Um, and I've uh, I've been to Bovington many times. Do you go to their model show that they do? No, not to the model show. I like to go when it's really quiet, and I like to just mooch in amongst the tanks. I've had the... Um, the tank experience as well. I got to ride in the commander's hatch of the Sherman. That I believe it was the Sherman they used for Fury. Yeah, Brad Pitt would be absolutely thrilled if he knew that I'd been in there with him. The best part of it that was that you got to go around the warehouses at the back. That smell, that you know, that armor smell. I was, yeah. I was absolutely ecstatic to be there. And they got some really weird stuff as well. You know, there was a roller Panzer IV track, there was a radial engine out of Sherman. They'd got a Panzer I on the restoration garage, just sanded off all the paint and found the original markings underneath.
1: Oh, wow! Oh, wow. Oh,
0: gosh.
2: That was awesome! That was a good while ago now. I was a lot thinner. I've got some pictures of me like in a Panzer IV, and yeah, I, I, lo- I look back and think, Oh wow, I'd get wedged straight in that hatch now if I tried that. I'd be like a cork. <laughs>
1: You were talking about the um, the Lancaster. I noted that you didn't mention you got a kit. So you haven't got one yeah. of those in the stash?
2: Yeah, there's one over
1: there in primer.
2: <laughs> it's been there for about four years. It's the Dambusters one, and uh-huh, um, yeah. it's got a really nicely applied layer of uh, black res U UMP primer on it, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden just stopped doing it, and it's sat there ever since. I don't think it's broken, which is a start. And one day I'll just suddenly get really enthused by Lancasters, and I'll finish it mm. one day. But okay. that's a great, that's a really good kit. That is. I, I enjoyed building that. I absolutely binged it from start to primer. Bit of filling to do along that dreaded seam up the middle, but it's it's probably shrunk there that filler. To be fair, I don't want to turn it over and have a look. ghost mm. seam or the middle. But that was a good build. That was I really enjoyed that. If I bought a mask set for the glass i would have probably gone a little bit further with it yeah i think you'd need one wouldn't you for the lancaster no you just use lots and lots of tiny little pieces of tape and then you put it on the shelf and never touch it again because you got sick of sticking loads of tiny bits of tape on it (laughs) (laughs) i've seen some pictures of that kit finished it builds up beautifully it's really nice Mm -hmm. and that's i did that that's been about three, four years ago now. So no affiliation at the time with Ethics. Uh, just bought it purely on a whim because I yeah. wanted to build the Lancaster. I will look at that and sort of chastise myself for mm. for not finishing that. And I'm totally brazen about the fact that I don't finish stuff. I, one day it bothers me, the
0: next day it doesn't. Do you feel like you you need it to give it the service or something? Or you need yeah. to respect it by finishing it?
2: Yeah, it's a bit like that Danger Zone from Edward. It's got good resale value because you can't get it anymore. The minute I put cutters to sprue, that drops in value.
3: Yeah.
2: Somebody somewhere is absolutely dying for that kit. They'd love that kit. And they would do it such justice. And then you've got me, who's a part-time aircraft modeler, who's going to open it, diddle with it for a bit, and then it's going to go back in the box with filler on show for two, three years. I'd rather they did it, and I just didn't. So it sits in the box and does nothing. I, I do that a lot. That's why I've got a big
0: stash of model kits around me. How do you motivate yourself then to do the the videos then? Because if you get to the point where you have to finish it, obviously you've got to finish your video series. So how does, how does that work? Scale Model Medic channel
2: has suffered due to that really, really badly. If you look at my upload history, Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at some of the comments as well people will say, you know, you should upload more and yeah, I should and I always should have and I just never have which is mm-hmm. why my channel fell behind all of the others when, when actually there weren't that many people doing it at all when I started they took off in a big way and I didn't because they were uploading all the time
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I was obviously working for Humbral after a few years anyway So I stopped working on my channel anyway. And then uh, a few years back, I just got back into uploading on the channel, did a few videos, and then there's always something that comes up and and gets in the way. And I work full-time, you know, proper job. I'm not a professional modeler. So Mm -hmm. that is always going to come first. Mm -hmm. And and then I stop again. So motivation has always been a problem. And there are days uh, where you know, you just sit at the bench and I just think, oh, I'm not in the mood for modeling today. I've always found that when you, you're trying to force yourself to do that, you don't do your best work. And I've learned to, you know, come to terms with who who I am and how I work. One day I will be into something totally and I will be Googling it and reading about it and I'll be absolutely mad about that subject.
3: Mm-hmm. And then
2: I'll stand up. And I'll, I'll turn the lamps off to go back in the house and then I'll turn around and I'll just catch a little glimpse of something at the corner of my eye, and that will trigger an interest in that subject instead and I think oh, I should yeah. really work on that and then that's it. It's like a big carousel of what I'm interested in at the time, and I've just learned to yeah. accept that and just ride it and just work on what you're enjoying at the time. The only difference is obviously when you're doing what like I do with with airfix. Then it's different, then it's work. And that changes everything completely. It's not about motivation. It's just about trying to be a, a professional provider of something. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody hired you to cut the grass, if you care enough you know, about your, your reputation, you'll cut the grass and you, you'll get it done pronto. You won't sit there and say, I'm not going to cut the grass today because it's really not something that interests me. I'll do it tomorrow. It um, you, you yeah. motivates you that way.
1: I find that with certainly doing videos and stuff, you know, it's, it's so difficult. You put yourself under that sort of pressure and then you get frustrated because you're not doing it how you, want, how you think it should be done to the, the level in which you want to achieve. And then that has a slippery slope at that point, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, and I had to get, get out of that early on, uh, doing weathering videos for Humbrol. Dale was the, the head of marketing at Humbrol at the time. What is useful is a simple video on enamel washes, because people need to know how to use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you buy this stuff, you take it out of the pot. It's a very thick pigment-heavy mixture. It doesn't flow along the panel lines. You need to put thinner in it, but they don't know that. I I need you to teach them to do that bit. Not go off on your own little enjoyment trip using those washes to, you know, do um do different effects on a tiger or do oil staining on the undertire of an aircraft. I need mm. you to just do a basic. And it got it got me out of that early on, just switch into that mode and build the model. It's very different to modeling for yourself. It's a privilege to be able to do it, a massive privilege. If I turned around today and said, look, you know, I'm really not enjoying this and then knocked it on the head, there would be no end of people queuing up to take my place. And that in itself is a motivational factor. There aren't many people who get to do this and far better modelers than me who jump at the chance. So I try to to be as good at it as I can, try to put aside what I'm interested in as a modeler and try to put myself into the right mindset to see what would a beginner need to be able to do to put this thing together and actually then move on and build another one after they'd finished to enjoy it to the point where they're like, I enjoy this hobby. So motivation for my own hobby is difficult, but motivation
0: when I'm working is is not so much. A different mindset between hobby and, and work and mixing those two is, is just a difficult thing they don't mix do they they don't mix
2: no not at all i'm not going to say it's detrimental to your own hobby to work in the hobby i don't think it's detrimental to be doing you know getting better at the basics all the time and i think that's really done me a world of good to be able to confidently just know how to to carry out the basic tasks and never lose that touch with mm-hmm. that area of the the hobby it's just sort of it's it when you've been working all night filming all night and the amount of pressure that's on you to do it perfectly all the time Mm. it you're not going to then put that down and just turn around and there's a a massive kit that you've been working on for yourself and you're just going to carry on working on that you stop stop modeling oh that was a hard shift to turn around it's no it's time for some modeling it's it doesn't work that way. I recently posted on Facebook some pictures of a a T sixty four that I've been working on for mm-hmm. a long time.
0: Yeah, is it the um, one with all the explosive armor on it, reactive armor? Yeah. Yeah.
2: And there are more parts in the commander's machine gun than there are in the entire Epic starter set.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Madness.
2: It's it's enjoyable in a different way but I wouldn't want to spend three hours filming a starter set video and then turn around and try and build that it just wouldn't you know I had to wait for for downtime between videos or for you know time when I had time off work or whatever and I had more free time
3: because
2: mm. I'm a dad at the end of the day I don't get enough free time to do the the work side and my own it becomes a juggling act and the one thing that consistently loses out is my own channel other than the interaction with people who you know message me to thank me or post in the comments i don't get anything from that it's demonetized it's it's just there it doesn't benefit me to upload to it
3: mm-hmm.
0: so that
2: will that that will take a back seat until such a time as i've got
0: something that's worth filming and i can do a video that's got a bit of impact there's no rush on doing that it's not going to go anywhere just like the kits on your shelf they're not going to go anywhere there's no, no rush at all in this hobby. You know, if it takes you ten years to finish a kit, then 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 it does. We were joking on one of the, the last podcasts talking about um, if you bought a kit in 1986 and you started working it on 2020, it doesn't matter.
2: I enjoyed listening to that because um, I got to work behind the ethics stand for two years at Telford, and I, I got to see the hobby from the other side of the table for the first time on a manufacturer's stand as well. It totally changed my entire view of the hobby. I now view it with a much higher degree of sympathy for the manufacturer than I ever did before.
1: done the same to me when I, I visited Airfix. Um, it really opened my eyes. We talk about Airfix because obviously you've worked with them, etc., but Airfix do get a, a, quite a hard time with the way they do their, their business. Comments of, oh, they're just popping the same old 1960s kits and blah, blah, blah. blah. But, hey, i got news for you that all the manufacturers do that, and they've been doing it for years but yeah, Airfix is the one that seems to always get the, the, the heavy stick for it.
2: Yeah, they do. And not everybody has that same view of, of Airfix and, and has humanised it by meeting the people. I've only ever been down there once when me and Dale first got started and he invited me down a hell of a drive from here. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had a Peugeot 406 at the time and wasn't a comfortable ride down there, but it was the first time that I'd ever really been to anything which gave me an insight into what's on the other side of the tape. The bit that I came away with was just how into it they all were. Just how yeah. passionate and excitable and they're, they're more interested and passionate about it than I am and it's like well, fair play really. You, know, you speak to them and they're not modelers. A lot of them aren't modelers. They're just people who are mega into their work and you have a conversation and they're dead passionate
1: I didn't make notes as to who made models, but it was very few, really. Uh, but the passion they had for delivering the product and the research and, and the subject matter, and Dale, obviously, with, with the marketing side of things, his passion's enormous. You know, he's unquantifiable, really.
0: Brooke, her mum had worked in the same factory a long, long, long yeah. time ago. So her, her having a, a job at Airfix was just family. It was generational, you know? Yeah. So, that's, that doesn't come through when, when you're talking about you know airfix and things unless you've been there um, mm. yeah. and worked with the people.
2: It's definitely something that you're not going to convey. Probably somebody listening and they're thinking, yeah, 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 whatever. You're not going to convince people who've got that mindset. So I just don't. If yeah. you if you if you don't like airfix, if you're not into airfix, then there are so many other people making model kits right now. Then just don't make one of theirs instead. That kind of attitude has put me off quite a few online communities and groups in the past. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I've sort of shied away from posting there because I, I don't like this kind of vibe. But Airfix, mm-hmm. like you say, it does seem like in particular Airfix do catch that that bad rap. But mm-hmm. when I worked at Telford on that other side of that stand, that also gave me an insight into just how absolutely different the hobby is for every single
0: person. Everyone has got an opinion, everyone has a favourite thing, and everyone has a different reason to why they're in the hobby and, and why their favourite thing is a different favourite thing to somebody else. You're you trying to cater for a, a broad range of people. We talked about um, FAQs. What were, the, what were the big questions that you had when you were behind the stand then?
2: At the time, it was about clear, because it was just after Future disappeared. The see-through bottle yeah. with the blue cap... That disappeared, and there was a hole in the market for a very thin, self-leveling gloss varnish. And Dale saw the opening and took it, and there was a a replacement for clear out on the market. I mean, we're talking, you know, 10 years ago here, 10, 11 years ago, so now there's... There's loads, and everybody wants to use this very specific type of clear that they're best with. But at the time, there were a lot of questions about that because that stuff was ingrained into people, especially the older boys. They loved dipping canopies in that stuff. And there was a a bit of an issue where if you let moisture get trapped under it, even fog, uh, there's a really easy solution to it. And I'd answered a lot of questions about that. All you do is just heat it up. I don't know why, but it just lets the moisture get from underneath the varnish. I could probably make up some pseudo science for you if you want. The heat excites the particles in the polymer and allows the moisture underneath to pass through, freeing the trapped
0: <laughs> moisture. Expands the, the air trapped in there. It's causing that light bouncing around. Gives you that cloudiness so that it oh, just escapes. I see you too are a scientist. Yes, <laughs> I am a
2: scientist.
0: Oh, I, feel,
1: I feel so silly right
0: now. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: but yeah, all you do is heat it up and it, it goes away. And I I answered that question a lot. I do remember some very specific moments. Some guy came up to me and and said, when are you guys going to start making a decent green for the interior of Russian helicopters? It was just, I just thought, how specific can you get? How much of an encyclopedia of all things modelling do you have to be to to sit this side of his table? And then he goes away muttering under his breath because I've not got an answer for him. And then the next guy steps up and he's like, I want to weather science fiction. And I'm like, well, what science fiction? And uh, he did say the name, but it was one of them sort of 70s sci-fi shows. You know, the older guys like the battered old kits that you get in some of the more esoteric stands at Telford. I've never even heard of it, let alone weathered the models that you can get for it. And you you just have to improvise and, and try and give him something to go with and hopefully try out but he looked about as impressed as if I just stood on his model (laughs) Uh, so he went away and dissatisfied but it was I got to work with Adam Tooby for two days he was on the stand as well he does the box art for the the modern airfix kits and um, Adam and his wife are amazing people they helped me out a little bit with dealing with the general public because I was,
0: did they hold you back? One, one arm each. Side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, they did. Yeah, what advice did they say to you dealing with the public? Was it just smile and wave? Or
2: uh, I, I can't remember specifically. It was just the yeah, just knowing that it's not just me who who gets it. You know, model show crowds. We all go there hyped up. You know, we're totally into the hobby, and you just have to sort of deflect and diffuse until you can get someone around you who might know and might be able to help. Or, you know, you have to just take a beating sometimes if they want to get some off their chest. Yes. Uh. Adam obviously sells prints of his art. He's not going to get somebody coming by being massively critical of it because it's really good. People can be rude at model shows. People can be rude anywhere. But uh, uh. when you concentrate modelers in one area, they do sort of float to the top and uh, and they can be quite abrupt. But then mm-hmm. for every one person who's like that, there's 100 really great guys, and I can't possibly remember all of the positive interactions, but um, I remember somebody coming up to the stand who brought with them an example of the fogging clear. I said fogging, by the way, in case you're mm-hmm. wondering.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just about to bleep it.
2: <laughs> he brought the example, and you could tell he was kind of irate, and after a bit of a conversation with him, Oh, uh, you went away really happy knowing what to do because I still use Clear to this day, even though there are people who despise it. I still use that because it's it's like easy to use. It serves many mm-hmm. purposes. I, I don't gloss whole models with it uh, because I try not to gloss whole models at all if I can help it. But that was a really positive interaction because somebody came with a problem and went away with a solution. That's kind of the whole point. But I actually did a live demonstration for the first time at Nat Telford, straight in at the deep end. You know, one of those where they announce it over the tannoy. First day, I forgot my heat gun for flash drying the models. So literally, absolutely stymied. I I couldn't do anything. You know, I had to make people watch paint (laughs) dry. They they, they went away from that. Um, Very disappointed I went home that night so determined, and I cut up styrene and primed it, and then I cut some others, primed it, and painted it different base colors. I made sure my heat gun was in my bag, and the second day, um, I did another uh, another demonstration, and uh, it, it was it was perfect. I, I jumped through all the hoops, got everything dry, and uh, they even gave me a little clap at the end and then they went yeah. away and uh, it was that good the next year when we did Telford again Dale didn't want a live demo doing
3: <laughs> he
2: just dropped that bit of the act you know like let's not go down there again no I, I couldn't do it no way it's, people's eyes just drill into you as they stare at you and they, they, you can kind of read their mind all right model man entertain me one of the main influences who affected me was doing a demonstration at that that exact desk at the first Helford that I ever went to. Mm. Um, There was a guy called Jay Laverty and showing people how to airbrush and he was using enamel paints from White Henson. And he dispelled a load of myths about airbrushing and he made it look so easy. And he was such a big character. I'm not Mm. close personal friends with him at all. I've never really spoke to him in that context. But I've never forgotten his name, and I, mm. I keep my eye on his Facebook page from time to time. But he made me go straight to a stand, buy white ants and enamels, and I painted a, a dragon Nashorn with them and airbrushed it successfully because of what I saw that guy do. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I took to airbrushing after seeing that and then went on to, to do that myself.
0: Mm. That's interesting, because right next to me here... I have my little uh, oil wash that I made just after watching your video about making oil washes for the Million Falcon. I have the bottle of it here, and I also have model itself that I actually made following your, your video. So it's gone full circle, John. One day, show somebody
2: else how to make an oil wash, and uh, it's like a big circle of life.
0: One day, someone will come yeah. up to me and say, you know, you you really influenced me to never listen to broadcasts podcasts ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'll never forget that guy. He did a really good demo on airbrushing,
2: and I absolutely loved it. I made my missus stand there watching, probably about forty-five minutes. She didn't love it, but you know, shouldn't come to model shows, should
1: you? Wow, uh, I would have loved to see that airbrushing enamels. That used to be my go-to paint enamels, and it was only by watching videos and influencers this this magical airbrushy thing, mm-hmm. um, and and listening to the comment. Of from many people of enamels like I did I think with them, um, which made me venture down the road of acrylics, um, as we talked about many times before. Um, but now, yeah, I, yeah, I, I really must do that. I really must get some enamels and and play because you keep dreaming about it. You keep talking about doing your. I do, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I, I just, yeah, I just need someone to show me how to do it. I think.
2: They'll come back into fashion, just like everything else.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: That's something that I've noticed about this hobby as well, um, is stuff comes and stuff goes.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: One
2: minute one minute, it's absolutely essential that you use this, that, or the other, and then the next minute it's filling out it a favor and, and you should be using something else. Most recent example I can think of, everyone was using Starnal Res, and then everybody moved to Mr. Surfacer. Yeah. But Mr. Surface has been around for, since I started modeling. It just wasn't trendy to use it back then. And, yeah. and there it is. Because
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: You've, you've got Mr. Leveling thinner and, you know, Tamiya lacquer thinner with retarder, which makes it smooth out a little bit better. Uh, one day, somebody who's very influential will say, oh, I'm not going to use that today. I'm going to use enamels. And then enamels will just come back into
0: fashion and everyone will have a reason why they're so much better. It does Cycles, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the Hitachi excavator, if I can. Yeah, sure. I'll put the link to it on the podcast notes, but it's the video of you weathering the um, excavator, which I've got a thing for tractors. I'll admit it now. It's, it's, it's like armor, but without the guns, I guess. You can muddy them up. You can mess them up, bust them up as much as you can. You know, And, and they're vehicles you'd see every day. I think that's why I was never really into armor myself because I never really saw a tank. You know, we see a tank going over the hedge unless you're in the wrong part of the world kind of farm machinery is is where it's at for me so when i saw Or hitachi one i was it's, i was salivating when i was re-watching it t- today there's a bit in there where you're doing the hydraulic levers and you put up a picture of the the actual thing in the corner of video and then you start painting the weathering on as it matches and my question really is about references do you always try and follow a reference when you're working, or do you kind of do it from memory? Because you certainly do it from reference in in that particular video.
2: Yeah, always reference. Always. It's kind of the way I was brought into the hobby to do it that way. I will scour the internet for references. I've got a pretty decent library of books, so if it's a military subject, I might have something here. But that particular model, the, the Hitachi saxis excavator you're not going to turn up much googling that what i found the best source of information was on that was to go looking for them for sale like the auto trader of uh, excavators and you find them for sale in random countries where the upkeep isn't as good as it might be here
3: Mm.
2: and that's where you find all your weathering pictures
0: that's, that's a really good tip
2: got them saved somewhere just picture after picture after picture of these things interestingly enough they all weathered slightly differently oh it was just a case of finding one that i like the look of and uh-huh. i found one with poor upkeep on the hydraulic seals let a bit of oil out and then i'd find a different picture of one on the cabin where there were some scratches that i like the look of and then you find one where they haven't cleaned the inside out before they took the pictures it tells you where all the dirt goes and uh, yeah you just piece it together from there I kicked myself about that because I kind of rushed the weathering to finish it because I really wanted to get a part two. Yeah, the, the weathering was enjoyable on that. It was just very difficult with all that glass on the cabin.
0: I think you did a great job. I mean, especially when you masked up where the the windscreen wiper goes. I did that exact technique on a tractor that I built. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was great. Yeah, that's an old one. That is old hat. I hadn't seen it before. I think what sort of what drives
2: me with uh, reference. I'm from the forum generation, Mm -hmm. pre-Facebook, pre-YouTube, and I've been lucky enough to have come through the likes of Missing Links in an era when people like Mig, uh, Adam Wilder, Mike Rinaldi, they're actually posting on these forums themselves. Then you've got people posting some of the best historical pictures I've ever seen back in Missing Links in those days. Just off the top of my head, I can remember there's a very famous tank engagement in Cologne where Sherman's are getting knocked out by a Panther and then something knocks the Panther out. This guy posted not only that, but he posted pictures from the engagement of the tanks afterwards and everything else. Research that, you know, is priceless really when you, you're Mm. just looking for information. And that was what missing links was like back then. And I think that coming from that era Everybody was working from reference. Realism was really important to people. You only just had these sort of artistic styles of modeling emerging, so realism was where it was at. I've always enjoyed that, that realism element. Plus also references and things like the Hitachi. I sit on the M6 sometimes for a long time. You see all sorts of weather and inspiration when you're sat for 40 minutes trying to get past Junction 6. (laughs) (laughs) So i'll I'll be sort of struck with inspiration when you see a certain part of a a vehicle i think that'd be a really cool effect to do and you've got plenty of time to look at it
0: (laughs) i've asked my wife a couple of times to speed up so i catch a tractor that's on the back of a truck
2: (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately uh, i've even seen a lorry with the bucket hanging off the back which from my sort of era on the forums everybody used to put a bucket on the back of german armor Mm. every every panther and tiger model you saw used to have the bucket hanging off the back and I saw a bucket hanging off the back of a lorry and I was like, jeez, that's where I'm from with the influences on me
0: and that that starts with realism back then. And the enjoyment of putting that realism together.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, If you can pull it off, uh, the the amount of times I've
0: tried to achieve something and it's not gone the way I wanted to, that's the learning curve. That's the fun bit, trying to work out how to do it. I've got a couple of other questions for you. What's the worst modelling accent or damaged body part?
2: I've been fairly, fairly good in terms of damage. I've had a few deep cuts that really hurt on the fingertips. That stops Ooh. you from modelling for, for a while. The worst of those is from the, um, is it JRC the the razor saw?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Very very thin, yeah. flexible blades. They cut skin real well.
3: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> That'll open you up. That's caught me a few times. When I was a poor and struggling young Warhammer enthusiast, I found a tin of um, yacht varnish in my dad's carriage. Yacht varnish? Yeah. Specifically for yachts? It's specifically for the nautical vessels or my Warhammer miniatures. (laughs) I think yacht varnish is sort of like a product now started as a yacht varnish, but now you can use it for things that aren't yachts. So I'd try it out, and I, I put a coat on, um, on a couple of little plague marines. They went glossy, dried really well. I was like, oh, actually, yeah, that looks pretty cool. And then I promptly dropped the entire tin on me and on the floor in my bedroom. And oh, it, God. that wasn't good. Oh, it absolutely stinks. The jeans I was wearing could stand up on their own. When they were <laughs> successfully removed, shiny
0: though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Went up. laughs> there's some serious uh, damage that you've obviously done. You only do it once. Yeah, and then you buy something that's going to stop it happening, or you're just very, very careful again. Buy a proper gloss varnish for for models that comes in the model size tin. Yeah, Blimey. The fumes coming off that yacht varnish must have been
1: horrendous. <laughs> What do you see yourself doing in the next couple of years or so? What plans have you got coming up?
2: In terms of Airfix and Humberall and Humber that, that's a conversation that that I'll have when the current commission's up. If there is stuff in the pipeline, then obviously I'll continue to, to dedicate myself to that. I have been toying with uh, trying to get my own business started as well. Is that model mm-hmm. related? It's um,
0: laser engraving and uh, CNC work. Oh, oh okay. What about um, model kits that you've got on the go? Have you got anything you know, like you said about your danger zone? But is there anything on the um, bench you're waiting to go? I've got that T64. Yeah, I think that
2: would make a decent video. Um, Have you filmed some already? No, I started building that before the whole situation in the Ukraine kicked off, mm-hmm. and I didn't really want to start filming that with that going on. I uh-huh. felt it might be a little bit, you know, tasteless, but. I kind of got drawn back to it because they're winning now. It feels like it's okay to to build it. And, yeah, I I will finish that off. It's a really good model. I like Trumpeter armor kits anyway, but that's a really Mm -hmm. good one. And I've got the 116th Stug. I actually want to build that. I really, really like Stugs, and I've never built one before, even though I really like the whole sort of shape, the way they weather up, because I got it when it was still fairly new, and I joined a Facebook group all about that sort of particular kit. Yeah, and and they've unearthed all of the errors. David Parker has been making aftermarket bits for it to to fill in these gaps. So it's made me hesitate to to get started with it because mm. it's one sixteenth. You know that's a that's a commitment. You need to mm.
0: make sure you're in it for the long haul on that. You need some space, but it looks like uh, you've got the space there to be able to do that once you've cleared the decks. Uh, it's the space to
2: display it afterwards might be an issue. In all fairness, when you never finish anything, that's not really a concern, is it? It's just put it back in the box it came in and then leave it there. But my colleagues actually bought me that for my 40th birthday at work. Um, oh, wow, that's
1: good.
0: it
2: be kind of cool to put it on my desk.
0: Yeah, it would make sense, yeah.
2: yeah. it would have to have a glass case over the top, obviously, no touching. I'd be let off with putting that on the desk because they'd it me.
0: Yeah. I have a thing about um, kits that have been bought for me, building them, and then feeling like an enormous sense of responsibility to start the kit and get it done. Kits that get bought for me to sit there
1: because I'm so nervous about doing it. But you're right. It does put a little extra pressure on you mm. in some respects. Uh, uh, but I think that's a nice touch. I might suggest that to work, actually, with my birthday next year. Yeah, I wonder what they could get me.
0: Yeah. But maybe make it a thing. Get your work oh, yeah. and buy you an extra model kit and then you get to put it on your desk and then you get to use their yeah. space to display your models. <laughs> Absolutely, that works. <laughs> you get to fend off
2: all of your curious work colleagues who want to come and touch all of the work that you've done. Oh
0: yeah! Break off the bits for you. Where can people find your stuff then?
2: Uh, if you just stick Scale Model Medic into YouTube that's all you got to do really. Or
0: you can stick it in Facebook if you want to see that. Okay. A scale model medic. We've been talking for quite some time now, so I think we yeah. should wrap it up. But John, thank you very much for taking the time, taking the time to make the videos, because they are time consuming, and taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Helping us talk about the hobby, teaching us things about the hobby on your videos.
2: No, it's been great to uh, sit and chat with you. It's been really good. Enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. You're an inspiration. Thank you very much.
2: You're all welcome. It's been
1: great. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Just Making Conversation with James Skiffins and Malcolm Childs. Follow
0: us on Facebook where we post photos, updates and other nonsense. If the social media boy
1: gets his act together. Find us on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, Google, Podcasts and all the others.
0: Let us know what you are just making and what your thoughts are on the conversation
1: in this episode. Thank you to the following supporters from buymeacoffee.com Ninja slash, 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 slash. JMC podcast Dean, Mike
0: Shelley, Ivana Build Model Kit Callum from Micro Machines podcast Paint All the Minis, Peter, Brad, Warren, Tim Black Rifle, John, Julian, Chuck, Mark, Buck, Hawaii, Simon the Jersey Gents, Steve Lee, Costas, Mark Ray, Neil, Mike, Robert Andrew, Drew, John, Mike, Jeff, Richard Lynn, Gordon and six others.
1: Well done. If you do show your support, leave your name so we can paint your name on the roll of honour on the tail of the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.